This is the Art of Dental Finance and Management podcast brought to you by Art Wiederman, CPA with Ide Bailey. Whether it's taxes and investing or planning wisely, Art is the expert to make your dental practice profitable. At Ide Bailey, what inspires you inspires us. We provide a suite of accounting and advisory services dedicated to the total care of your practice. Visit our website to access our tools and resources tailored for dentists, idebailey.com slash dentist. That's E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y dot com slash dentist. This podcast is distributed with the understanding that Art Wiederman, CPA, and Ide Bailey, LLP are not rendering legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Listeners should consult with their business advisors before acting on any of the information or opinions shared. If you have questions and or feedback, make sure to email Art over at awiederman at idebailey.com. That's A-W-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N at E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y dot com. You can also give Art a call at 657-279-3243. Without further delay, here's your host, Dental CPA, Art Wiederman. And hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Dental Finance and Management with Art Wiederman, CPA. I'm your host, Art Wiederman. Welcome to my podcast. Thank you for listening. Uh, and we're recording today on uh, during Thanksgiving week, uh, the 23rd. First of all, very uh, by the time you hear this, your Thanksgiving will be over. So I hope you had a really nice Thanksgiving and a good turkey and all the trimmings. And uh, hopefully everybody is staying uh, safe. Very, very difficult time. But uh, hopefully keeping fingers and toes crossed, uh, we'll hopefully have some uh, some relief coming in, in 2021 with uh, some cures to this horrible, horrible COVID-19 uh, virus. So uh, there, is, there is good news down the road. And while all of this has been going on, folks, actually, believe it or not, the stock market has been open for eight months uh, since March the 16th when, uh, when our country basically shut down. It has not shut down. The stock market has not shut down. And uh, today we're going to talk about where the investment markets are. I have my first third time visitor to the podcast, my good friend, uh, uh, Jim Davenport from Beacon Point Advisors. Jim is a partner and a managing director at Beacon Point. And Jim is going to talk about where the markets have come, where they're going, what they're doing. I mean, here, here's, here's an example of the craziness of all of this, right? Okay. So if you look at, um, if you look at the markets here, uh, Let's just take a look at the beginning of where they were. At the beginning of this year, the Dow Jones Industrial Average started at 29,263, and everything was looking great. We were going to break 30,000. Um, I, I think I might have mentioned on the podcast uh, a while back that uh, uh, when I used to do a radio show in uh, downtown Los Angeles um, on KRLA, Los, uh, KRLA 1110, uh, I interviewed a guy who wrote a book called Dow 36,000. Well, we're almost at Dow 30,000. So it was at 29,263. On March the 18th, it dropped down to 19,123. And on November 17th, it reached its high as to where it was at 29,783. Now, remember the Dow Jones Industrial Average, the large cap stocks, they're the 30 largest stocks. They are not in any way, shape, or form, what makes up the stock market. The NASDAQ, which is the which is the tech stocks, started the year at 89.46. Then it hit on March 18th, 69.04. So it was down over 2,000 points. And on November 17th, it has now peaked at 11,905. So the tech stocks have done really well. And the Russell 2000 index started the year at 16.64 hit a low of 991 and is now back to 1785. So look at the markets, folks. The the the, the three, three of the main indices are actually up for the year with everything we've had going on. So Jim is going to talk about all of that. You know, what, what does GDP mean? What does a vaccine mean down the road? Um, and we're going to talk to, to you guys, you, to, to the dentists about you know, if you're 25 to 35, what should you be doing? 35 to 50 and over 50, what investment moves should you be making? So we'll get to Jim in a minute. Uh, do a little business. I want to tell you about my wonderful partner, 
uh, Decisions in Dentistry magazine, go onto their website, www.decisionsindentistry.com. As I tell you every week, they've got great clinical content, a great uh, advisory board of the who's who in clinical dentistry, uh, great website, uh, great CE courses. Some of their CE courses are uh, such courses as Improving Health uh, with Digital Dentistry, Shared Decision, uh, shared decision-making in evidence-based dentistry and managing thermal injury following endodontic post-preparation. So these are just some of the courses you'll get, very, very reasonably priced courses. Go to our uh, partner, decisionsindentistry.com. Click on the box if you're looking for a, um, if you're looking for a complimentary 30-minute consultation from any one of us at the Academy of Dental CPAs. Um, Please check on that box and we'll we'll get to you. Uh, we've done many of these and, and had a chance to talk to lots of nice folks across the country. Uh, I am, I did not mention, by the way, I'm a director at Ide Bailey, uh, dental director. That's E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y. And Ide Bailey is who I work for, and I'm very proud of that. Uh, and we're, we're in uh, Southern California in Tustin. Uh, and I also want to mention, if you're looking for a dental-specific CPA, we got you covered. The Academy of Dental CPAs, the ADCPA, uh, works with over 10,000 dentists and our 24 member firms, of which my firm is one of them. Uh, I barely works with uh, close to 800 dentists. And um, go to our website at www.adcpa.org. A uh, couple of announcements I want to share with you. Um, if you are interested, send me an email at a Wiederman, W-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N, at idbailey.com. And we are starting to do a year-long series for six local dental societies across Southern California. And uh, that's going to start on Wednesday evening, December 9th, with a tax planning and uh, research and development credit update uh, from myself and our team at Bailey. So it's Wednesday, December 9th. Send me an email and we will get you the link to that webinar. Uh, Again, Wednesday, December 9th, it'll be 6 to 8 West Coast time, California time. And it will also be uh, recorded and on our website if you can't make it. Again, one quick update before we get to Mr. Davenport. Um, I mentioned this in the last podcast we did and nothing has changed. Uh, I did talk to my friend Megan Mortimer from the ADA this morning. We texted a little bit about what was going on, and she sent an email that, uh, uh, as I mentioned, the PPP expenses are not deductible, according to the IRS. If you have a reasonable expectation of forgiveness, then you are not allowed, according to the IRS, to deduct these expenses on your 2020 tax return. So if you got $100,000, in PPP, um, PPP money and you spent it on payroll and rent and utilities and interest, you technically at the moment cannot deduct them if you reasonably expect to get forgiveness in 2021. Megan sent an email to us at the Academy of Dental CPAs this morning, basically encouraging all the CPAs and all the professionals to write your congressman. I would encourage you to write your congressmen, uh, your representatives, your senators, and tell them that when you went to borrow this PPP money, it was promised that the expenses would be deductible and that this is not right and that you would respectfully request that they pass legislation to do this. Will they do this before the end of the year? I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. Megan doesn't know what they're going to do. I don't think they know what they're going to do. But um, we do hope and think that they will at some point, whether it be before the end of the year or after we have a new, uh, uh, a new president and a new uh, Congress uh, installed sometime in January. We will see. Okay, with that said, uh, I wanted to, I'd like to introduce my good friend, Mr. Jim, Jim Davenport. Jim is, as I mentioned, Jim is a managing director and a partner at Beacon Point Advisors. Beacon Point is a national wealth management firm that manages just under uh, $15 billion. That's B with a billion with a B, right, Jim? 
That's correct. Welcome to the art of dental finance. So you manage a lot of money, right? Uh, the the firm itself manages a lot of money, and and respectfully, I do, and my team uh, manages quite a bit of money as well. Okay, well that that's always a good thing. So Jim, um, give us again. You know, you've been on. Uh, this is your third time. We haven't had a third timer before, uh, but I bring you back because uh, you're you're nice. You laugh at my jokes, and you're smart. Those are the three reasons. <laughs> if you ever fail any of those tests, you'll never come back on the podcast again. Just so you know, right? And, and all of those statements are are incredibly funny to begin with. So. <laughs> that's what they Actually, do. That's the smart comment. But anyway. That's right. Exactly right. So give us quickly again a little bit of your background before we get, get into the topics. Yeah, great. Uh, Art, thank you so much for having me on again. It's an honor to be the first third third uh, third timer. But, uh, you know, our game being the, the, the stock market is really the only game in town that stayed open throughout the entire uh, length of COVID-19. Uh, and so it's uh, pretty important to talk about. It's uh, created a lot of headlines. And so uh, I do think we have some good things today to talk about. A uh, little background, I've uh, been in the business for, for about a dozen years. Uh, learned a, a lot of the business through my father, who was, a, who was a stockbroker here locally in Orange County for about 55 years. And so it's kind of been in my, in my blood my entire life. Uh, I'm an undergraduate from USC and uh, got my master's degree from the arduous school of business here at chapman so i am a southern california uh boy through and through well my my son forrest got his degree from the arduous school of business at chapman and it uh it puts out some smart people and um and the uh, usc trojans at the moment are three and oh so that's a good thing too if you're a usc fan right uh it's been a it's been a wild year uh in sports i happen to be a, a diehard laker fan and a diehard Dodger. Dodgers probably my favorite professional sports team, and so the fact that the Trojans are three and zero in the same year, I just I, I'm waiting to wake up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, as I've told you, as I've told the audience, my uh, uh, my football team is undefeated since 1993. That's the Long Beach State University 49ers, and that's when our football program oh, yeah. ended. So there you go. So Jim, let's jump. Yep. Let's jump into a topic. Topic. We have a lot to talk about, and the markets are crazy. I mean, I gosh, I remember before, uh, Jim. I remember before two thousand, and uh, uh, you know, I think it was before two thousand and one, before uh, the 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 horrible attacks of September eleventh, two thousand and one. I just remember the markets moved because of business news. They moved because you know businesses were doing well, businesses were not doing well. Corporate America was doing well, and then the the terrorist attacks hit. And then they started, you know, news of, of, of terrorism, this affected the markets in 2008. And then it just seemed like in the last 20 years that, that there's a lot of news that just doesn't have to do with the markets that move the markets. So today we've got, uh, you know, we've got uh, obviously COVID-19 is back on the forefront. Sadly, we have, uh, I think the country went over 200,000 cases uh, yesterday or the day before, 1,500 people sadly losing their lives. Uh, we're over 250,000 uh, people who have lost their lives. And now we're coming to uh, Thanksgiving and 2 million people traveling in the United States. So uh, these numbers may go up before they go down and before we have a vaccine. How, how has this whole COVID thing affected the markets? Well, that's a great question. And I think there's a couple questions in, in that first statement. And the first being, you know, the craziness of the markets. You know, the stock market, uh, if you took a snapshot in time of every time you were to stop and look at the market, uh, I could give you 10 to 15 bullet points of really what could affect the markets either on a bullish level or a bearish level, meaning there's always something going on. At one moment, it's trade. The next minute, it's an election. Now we're dealing with a virus. You know, the market is always feels like it's in a little bit of a crazy time because it's tough to explain. You know, the economy and the levels of the economy is based in real time. So you're looking at things in, in real time. The stock market, on the other hand, is really a forward-looking prediction m machine, so it's trying to predict really what's going to be happening six months from now. Right. And so I think what the, the market's coming, uh, bouncing back or this V-shaped recovery the way it has, has a lot to do with the Fed flooding the market li with liquidity. Interest rates are at its lowest they've ever been. Uh, people are leveraging and margining money 
uh, like we've never seen, uh, which is something I think later in the conversation, we'll talk a little bit about our debt and what that means to the markets. But, um, you know, it is a it is a, a, a time in which people are willing to pay these multiples for especially these growth and tech stocks. And if they're willing to pay for it and they're going to borrow to do so, uh, the markets continue to go higher. Can you explain to our listeners, because again, I'm sure we've got some people that are very sophisticated listening, and, and we probably have some folks that are maybe new to investing and new to the markets. So we hear about the fact that the Federal Reserve is flooding the market with money, and they've been doing that for a while. What does that mean? Yeah, so they are, uh, obviously, they're printing, it's basically the printing machine is on, uh, and Currently, as we as we uh, are talking today, uh, I'm very confident in telling you that the debt uh, level in this country is going to hit 30 trillion dollars. I think that's uh, that's inevitable because I do yep. think a stimulus, a fourth stage of stimulus, is necessary. Now, when that stimulus happens is a good question. Does it happen, you know, before the the uh, Congress is seated, uh, which is on January 3rd? Is it before? Is it during? Uh, you know, Donald Trump or a lame duck uh, package, does it come then? Um, or does it come after January 20th when the inauguration happens? But a new, another stimulus is coming and debt is going to uh, to approach $30 trillion. When they go ahead and do this, when they pass this, whether it be in November and December, probably not going to happen in November and December or January, or when everybody is uh, seated in a new Congress and a new and a new president has been inaugurated, I mean that's probably going to drive the markets up, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, the sooner, listen, the sooner that that stimulus comes, the better. It is much easier to keep businesses going than it is to restart them. So if you have to close businesses and then restart them, they call that economic scarring. It's really costly uh, way to. Um, to continue productivity. And so the sooner we see that stimulus, I believe the better off these businesses will be as the businesses will just uh, be able to just just make it through this period of time before everyone's able to go back to work, everyone's able to go back to their favorite restaurants, fly on their favorite airlines, go to their favorite hotels. Uh, The stimulus needs to come through and the timing of that your guess is as good as mine. Yeah, well, and, and I think if you if you polled a hundred people, you would probably get a hundred a hundred different answers. And well, unfortunately, uh, you know, uh, sorry to interrupt, but unfortunately, the stimulus has become a little too political. Uh, politics have gotten involved in what should have already taken place because there is a lot. Both sides want to throw different things on that bill. We all know that bill needs to be passed, but you know, the term is pork there. I wish we could just put aside those kinds of games uh, for the benefit, I think, of of the overall economy and small business. No, I I, I agree, and, and we're not we're not getting into politics on the on this program. We'll we'll let other podcasters do that for us. So, I, so I appreciate that. So, gross domestic product, and that's the that as I understand it, the last I checked is that's the uh, the sum of all the goods and services produced in this country. Uh, they declined, the, the GDP declined 31.4% in the second quarter of this year for obvious reasons. We shut the country down. And then it rebounded 33.1% in the third quarter. And the, th- and the fourth quarter is probably not looking at like here in Los Angeles County. And every state is doing this, Jim. So like in Los Angeles County, if the number of COVID cases reaches an average over, it's either four or five days, of 4,500, and they're right now about 4,000, they will literally shut down Los Angeles County for everything except essential services. Uh, so, so you know, what is the fourth quarter looking like? Are we in for a tough winter in these markets, or is it just kind of, you know, lock in your seatbelt, get on the uh, get on the roller coaster, and start riding? Yeah, this this might be uh, a little different than maybe what you're hearing, and and I'm going to tell you, I I don't. I think, like I mentioned earlier about it being a prediction machine, I think the markets are already looking forward, and the uptick that we've seen in the markets have a lot to do with the 
um, with the possibility of a vaccine. So as we look at vaccines, I think it's important to pay attention. Three weeks ago, we saw Pfizer come out on a Monday and say that their vaccine is 70% to 90%. Then the following Monday, we had Moderna come out and announce, and the markets responded both of those Mondays dramatically to the upside. And then today, we've had a third now, AstraZeneca, uh, and the markets rebounded, was up over a percent, almost a percent and a quarter of the Dow today. And so the markets are reacting uh, much and, and are much more focused on a vaccine. The vaccine is the game changer. And so when you talk about GDP, although it feels like you just mentioned down 31 percent and then back up 33, you know, the law of numbers, if something goes down 30 percent in order for it to get back to even, it's got to be up, you know, 40, 45 percent. Right. So we're right. still not we're not quite there. And unemployment is still uh, at dramatically low numbers. But as this good news starts to come about the vaccine uh, and you see stories on 60 Minutes and others about, you know, the real challenge is getting the vaccines into people. Right. It's getting the supply chain, uh, getting it from the manufacturer, actually getting it into the arms of the people, because as we currently sit today, about 58 percent of people that are polled are willing to take the vaccine while 42% are still very concerned or considering not even taking that. And in order to create herd immunity to uh, COVID-19, you've got to get close to about 70% of the people to take the actual vaccine. So that's really where that issue is going to be coming. So every time you hear good news or you hear positive uh, results from these major companies, some of the smartest minds in the world are working on these things because we realize that timing is everything. Again, I mentioned it's easier to keep businesses going than it is to restart them. If we can just get them to hang on long enough for this vaccine to come and to be to to work and not only work, but make make people believe that it's safe enough to take. That's when uh, that's why you see the markets uh, and that's why the markets are justified at these levels. Well, I, I, I think that what's going to happen is that you're going to see the messaging change. And again, not getting into Republican versus Democrat. I think nope. the messaging from the Biden administration is going to be more of a federal response. That's what they're talking about. They put a whole task force together and they're basically going to tell the American people, the science says that this vaccine is safe. There's going to be a fourth one, by the way, Johnson and Johnson is going to come out with theirs in the next couple of uh, weeks, I think. And uh, I think theirs will be available in the first quarter of 2021. So, so you know, the, 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 the messaging will be different. And I think you'll see more people taking it. And that's, that's going to help the markets because the, the economy, Jim, was really doing well before March the 16th, wasn't it? It was uh, historically well. Uh, unemployment uh, across the board of any gender race was was down uh, the markets were soaring uh, at a at a very good pace. Uh, we were, you know, we got through. Uh, I think we handled coronavirus uh, actually very well in the fact that, and I'm not talking about again. We're, we're not getting political, so I'm not talking about masks and social distancing. What I'm talking about is the banks were much healthier and uh, before coronavirus hit than when we had the housing crisis or the tech bubble in 2000. 2001 or the, the, the housing in 2008, we were prepared for something like this. If you remember in 2008, when the market fell, it basically fell for almost a year. It was almost 12 months yes. from peak to trough. Yes. The peak to trough for coronavirus art was 19 trading days. So the peak oh, yeah. was February was 19th. Yeah. February 19th, which happens to be my birthday. Uh, and it bottomed on March 23rd. 19 trading days was the extent of the fall. And the reason was the Fed acted and acted quickly. And we got money into people's hands to pay their bills. We got money to pay pay uh, for some folks not to be let go, um, even though there was a lot of uh, unemployment happening. And so uh, to your point, um, Art, I, we believe that we reacted or we were in a good place to start which benefited us in reacting to this disaster. If we were in a in a in a bad place and the banks were in real trouble, I don't I don't I don't know where we would be uh, today. So we were lucky enough. I think 2008 was was uh, well, I think we learned a lot from it. 
and 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 we saw that uh, in our reaction, how quickly uh, the Fed reacted uh, to to this situation. Now, now this is interesting. I read this about an hour ago. Again, that's why we date stamp these podcasts in because stuff happens. I don't know if you've heard this yet, but um, it looks like, according to the new, according to the internet, yep. uh, that uh, uh, by, um, President-elect Biden is going to appoint uh, the former chair, per- the, the chairperson of the Federal Reserve, Janet Yellen, as his Treasury Secretary. Did you hear that? You know, Art, I'm lucky enough to work with uh, a good friend of yours. That's how we met a gentleman named Mark Molman. He's a partner of mine of seven or eight years, and he is like a walking Twitter account. <laughs> and when he hears news like that, he is at my door to make sure that uh, I'm aware of it and, and ask my opinion for some reason. But yeah, he made me aware of that uh, a couple hours ago. Uh, we both had a, a quick conversation about it. Um, we do believe, uh, you know, in the last a couple minutes of the market, it rallied slightly because I think of that news. I think she's a known commodity. Uh, yeah, the exactly. markets are well aware of Janet Yellen. So it's, uh, again, remember, markets love certainty. We've talked about that in our previous yeah. podcast. And yeah. the certainty of Janet Yellen, she's actually, um, you know, she's pretty, she, she's big on easing. She's big on, um, you know, getting money circulating in the market. So I I would tell you that bodes well for maybe a, a maybe a larger stimulus package. We'll see, but um, I did see that uh, I did see that announcement today. So, and, and as long as we're talking about Biden administration, how do you think the markets will react when, in the first, second, third week? Because I guess they I think they they inaugurate um, they basically they they install the new Congress and the Senate, the House and the Senate. I think it's the first week of January, and then obviously the president is uh, inaugurated on the 20th of January. So how, how do you see, again, it's going to be a very much of a, a different atmosphere in, in, in Washington. How, how do you see the markets reacting once the new government is installed? Yeah, so uh, I think that's a great question. And I was honestly in these last two or three weeks since the election is where I was most concerned. At Beacon Point, we like to think of policy over politics. Uh, and it sounds like you're in kind of the same camp. So we're trying to follow what policies will come into play. Um, let's just talk about the good news. Uh, the markets didn't fall off a cliff like some of the pundits on television said it would if Biden were to win the, pol- the presidency or if Trump were to not uh, concede right away and go the legal bath, uh, uh, path. And the markets have actually held up very well. Uh, and I honestly believe it's because of one thing, and that is uh, a divided government is good for markets. So my, my late father always said that the markets are always bigger than one man or woman. The president doesn't always make whether or not markets go up or down. But the ones that pass the bills like the Senate and Congress, uh, that's really what determines whether or not there is going to be certainty or less uncertainty, per se, in the markets. And so with the uh, the House staying a Democrat, the Republicans picked up a few seats, but we currently sit with a Senate of 50 Republicans, 48 Democrats, with an election on January 5th in Georgia for two seats, in which the market is telling you, just as we're 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 sitting here today, and I told you it's a it's a forecasting machine, it's telling you that a Republican is going to is going to win one of those seats. And, it, and it's right now odds favorite to win both of those seats. And so with that said, we've got ourselves a divided government, which means that the administration will have less ability to, um, you know, maybe roll through a very progressive agenda. Uh, the tax uh, hikes that might have been coming uh, might be substantially less or non-existent. Um, and so those types of things, when we look at policies, uh, and the market, uh, I think it's so far been a good thing. And so we've, we've actually had a, a pretty good market since, uh, since November 8th. So let, let's get into what people should be doing, Jim. Uh, and we'll talk about the debt in a second, but I mean, you know, everybody's listening to this, whoever's listening to this podcast. Is this. Okay. So Art, Jim, w- w- what do we do? What do we panic? What do we do? I mean, talk about how an investor, how a dentist, um, should be thinking about their investments. I mean, we have the most crazy year 
that any of us can remember in our lifetimes. The markets are actually up a little bit because, again, they're looking at a strong economy. We've had a one-year, I'm not going to call it a blip. I mean, it was an avalanche. But, you know, once we have a vaccine that is working and that the vast majority of the American public trusts and takes, everybody will go back to work. People will start living their lives and traveling and getting on airplanes and and the economy will start flourishing again. So, but what do you tell people? What are you telling your clients right now who are, are they worried? Are they calm? Are they drinking heavily? I mean, what are they doing? Good question. Uh, it's very important at this very moment to be communicating uh, with clients, um, giving them the information that we know in order to keep them uh Uh, calm as well about their monies. I will say leading up to the election, uh, we saw some clients that maybe we took a little more conservative approach and changed the allocation a little bit. Um, And now since the election, I've had nothing but calls with clients that feel like they see a little more clarity uh, now with the election behind us and and kind of coming to realization that we're going to have to live with coronavirus rather than trying to completely control it. And so it's actually now going the other way. We have some clients who took a conservative approach and are now asking, okay, I'm ready to kind of go back to maybe what uh, my objectives were and the, the, the returns that I'm looking for over the next 10 years. And we're, we're starting to expand a little bit more into, into uh, large cap stocks and, and you know, fixed income, both on the municipal side and the corporate side and, and, uh, and private credit. So, um, to answer your question, everybody's different. There's not a boilerplate for anybody, but at the same time, um, I would say that some of the nerves that we had going into what was maybe the most heated election and the arguably the craziest year since I've been alive when it comes to um, you know t- headlines and and uh, and politics. So um, yeah, we're we're each person is a little different, but I'm t- I'm telling everybody we're going to survive. We've done it. We've lived through the Great Depression, the Great Recession, and now um, we've, we've survived uh, President Trump and possibly uh, uh, President Biden, and we're still and we're still going in the right direction. Because the markets believe that the the fundamentals are strong, the economy is strong, and that uh, we're going to get back to closer to the what were we at three? What was what was the unemployment? It got as low as what three three and a half percent. I, I think that's. I think it was, it was. Yeah, it was, it was. Yeah, it was three and a half to four. Yeah, three and a half to four. So let's talk yeah. about some of the different Jim. Let's talk about some of the different sectors out there. I mean, you've got people that are investing. Let's talk about the markets. Um, now, we'll be real clear. Jim is not going to tell you which stock to invest in today or which mutual fund to invest in. But we're going to talk just in general terms. Um, in the stock market, you've got you know large cap, medium. Uh, cap, small cap. Um, what in, in the stock market? Where do you see the sectors? What What do you like? What are you worried about? What are you thinking? Yeah. So uh, this year is an is historic in in a couple different ways. But one way is it's a tale of really two stories, right? You've got uh, the growth uh, sector of the market and the value sector of the market, and and over two hundred years of the S and P five hundred, uh, you know the the Warren Buffett value investing, uh, collecting dividends, uh, has been um, incredibly uh, profitable and beneficial to those that that were holding value companies. But over the last five uh, years, especially, but really ten years, growth stocks have been the story, and that story has never been so dramatic as this year. You know, currently, and these are round numbers, but the uh, the growth index, large, we're talking large cap stocks right now. The growth index is up 30%, while the value index, the deep value index, is down three. So if you think about that disparity, that 33% disparity between growth and value, I've never seen it in my career, and neither have a few of my partners that have been in it for a few more decades than I have, have seen a market that looks like that. So if you've got all the tech names, and you're in Apple and Amazon and Facebook and all those great ones, you're having an unbelievable year in the stock market. But if you own the deep value uh, airlines, REITs, 
you know, the, the, the oils like Chevron and those kinds of companies, uh, Disneyland, which has had a nice rally recently, and they were really rescued by uh, the streaming service that they now have, the Disney Plus. But if, it, if your company involves large groups of people coming together to produce top line revenue, it's been a really difficult year. It's been a choppy year. It's been a, it's been a tough year. And dividend paying stocks have not had uh, the, the type of year of, of growth stocks. And the reason for that would be, think about those growth stocks. A lot of them have to do with uh, uh, financial technologies, uh, you know, the internet, um, building stores online uh, like Shopify, getting them out to your customers like Twilio. But we, I mean, we're going cashless very quickly. So you're looking at companies like MasterCard and Visa, and then you start getting into the PayPal's and the Squares, and these companies are doing fabulous. This is actually um, accentuating their abilities to grow because people are looking at screens now uh, more than they ever have before. And so it's the two. It's a tale of two markets. So what do I think? Do I think we we bail value and and chase the the growth? I do not. Do I think now that growth has run, we rebalance and put everything back into value? I wouldn't say that either. And the reason being is I hope that all of your listeners have gotten the advice over time to diversify your monies so that you have both growth stocks as well as value stocks. We do think that there is some good, this is going to sound funny, some good value in value stocks. <laughs> and I wouldn't say to leave those. But every time this, you know, this new wave of coronavirus the longer it takes for the vaccine to come out, those growth stocks are going to continue to put up big returns and big earnings uh, as we see in the in the near future. But but it, it really does come down to pick a course of action, pick a way. Now, I know you, you guys have more of a conservative approach and diversifying and working with money managers. And I know, folks, there's different ways you can invest. You can pick stocks. You, you can uh, individually pick stocks and just say, I'm going to follow these 20 stocks and these are the ones we'll go in and out of them and, and we're going to follow them. Or you can hire. And this is what this is what Beacon Point does, as I understand it, Jim, as you guys work with top money managers in different sectors. Is that right? That's correct. We use separately managed accounts for our stocks and bond managers and alternatives. Right. So so it, it's just a matter of, of, of basically diversification, which is what people will tell you and have told you for a hundred different years. So before we keep going, because I got a lot more I want to talk to you about, uh, Jim, you uh, I'd like you to give out your contact information. If anybody has any questions uh, about anything in the investing world, Jim is a really good resource. And Jim, you also mentioned that there's a some uh, a, a podcast that uh, Beacon Point puts out uh, every so often about uh, keeping up with what's going on in the markets. Tell us a little bit about that too. Yeah, thanks for mentioning that, Art. And I'll hit that first. Uh, yeah, our chief investment officer, Michael Dow, who has uh, joined the firm a little over three years ago, um, has been an incredible asset to our firm and in, in, in the form of leadership and and helping our uh, our company have a, a voice when it comes to opinions in the markets because that's what it's about. It's try to. Uh, find the best way to navigate our clients through the volatilities of markets. And so uh, really finding out which motion to take and and lead our clients that way. And, and he's got a podcast that Beacon Point has founded. It's 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 led by Michael. It, he, he posts about every two weeks on it, and it's called Markets in Motion. So it's Beacon Point podcast. If you go onto your Apple podcast or wherever you get your podcast and look up Markets in Motion, uh, with Michael Dow, I, I think you will learn a lot. And they are about anywhere between 10 and 15 minutes long. But uh, they are full of good information. They cover specific topics that he outlines at the beginning. And um, I would suggest all your listeners, if they have a chance, if they want to know about the election, if they want to learn about the economy, if they want to learn about interest rates, it's a great place uh, for good information from a guy uh, much smarter than, than myself. Uh, my information, if you want to reach out to me, um, my phone number, my office uh, is here in, in Orange County in Fashion Island, but we've also uh, got an office in Riverside as well as Fresno. So if you're in any of those places and you want to stop by our offices, uh, you can reach out to me and give me a call. My phone number is 949-720-9980. 
949-720-9980. And if you want to send me an email or have any questions after this podcast, my email address is jdavenport. So that's J-D-A-V-E-N-P-O-R-T at beaconpoint.com. And Beacon Point has an E at the end of point. So it's spelled B-E-A-C-O-N-P-O-I-N-T-E.com. And I'll make sure that I put the information about uh, Markets in Motion with Michael Dow into the show notes. So for those of you who uh, get our emails and uh, subscribe, you'll get that information also. I'll tell you one thing, Jim, that really scares the you-know-what out of me. Um, There's two types of podcasts, those that use bad words and those that don't. And in 102 podcasts, I have not used a bad word yet, and I'm not going to start today. But um, the debt scares me. You mentioned earlier that we're going to be at or close to, with the next stimulus package, $30 trillion of debt. That that is such a staggering number. I, I tell the story about... I remember when when Ronald Reagan was elected president of the United States and took office in January of 1981, our national debt was $900 billion. So our national debt will have grown $29 trillion uh, in about 40 years. So, you know, at, at some point, every economy, I mean, we've seen it in Greece, we've seen it in other countries across Europe. Uh, with the EU and all this kind of stuff, at some point, there's an amount of debt that the United States economy is going to have where people are going to say, wait a minute. Um, what? Give us a preview, because nobody in Washington, this really bothers me, nobody in Washington talks about the debt. They never, ever talk about the debt. Never, ever, ever. So wh- where do you see this going? What happens in, you know, two years, five years, 10 years, how much time do we have until we're really going to have to address this? Yeah, I mean, the debt is is kind of the new story of the next investment cycle. So the next, I think the next big story everybody's going to be talking about is once, once the smoke clears and, and the the printing press machines are, are exhausted and out of ink, um, these huge debt levels will become the story again. So it's, I think it's a good topic to talk about. You know, the first thing I can tell you about the debt is I think about how we as a country are able to service the debt that we are growing. So the servicing of the debt is the problem. So we we would love to increase interest rates, but we really can't. We can't re- in, increase interest rates because then we can't afford our own problems and our own debt. Yep. We tried to do it in 2018. Pal, good luck. Uh, tried to do it. And in the fourth quarter, uh, the market just just started falling like a like a sailing stone until we stopped and, and started lowering rates again. And so, you know, financial repression um, is when interest rates stay uh, very low. We work to keep interest rates low while we try to make inflation a little bit hot. So we try to kind of increase uh, inflation uh, to a much higher level. So therefore, we're actually gaining a little bit of dollars that we are paying off that debt in turn. And so um, we do believe that this uh, type of strategy that, that Powell and the Fed are doing will continue. Um, I'm hearing a few more folks uh, talk about they believe interest rates are going higher, but it is very, very difficult for us as a firm to believe that we'd be able to uh, pay for that debt if interest rates were to go any bit higher. So that's really the story. You know, Tell me what interest rates and inflation levels are in the future, and I'll tell you exactly where to invest. So that that that's the next story of uh, or the next uh, yeah next story of the investment cycle. I, I mean, it just it's a math problem. I mean, if you have thirty trillion dollars of debt, and right now I think Jim, the average um, the average debt interest the interest rate on our debt is somewhere in the one to one and a half percent. Is that about right? Yes. Okay. So right now you've got twenty five trillion dollars of debt, and you know, one and a half percent of that is four four hundred and twenty five billion dollars, and I think we bring in uh, in revenues in, in our in our country somewhere between two and three trillion dollars. It just depends on the year. It's down this year because obviously businesses are not making as much money and they're not paying as much in taxes, uh, and we reduce the corporate tax and the personal tax rate. So the, the, there's there's all that happening. 
So now if we go to 30 trillion and interest rates go to, they say they go to 3%. Okay, that's $900 billion. And now you're talking about 30 to 40% of our budget is going just to pay the interest, not the principal, the interest on this. It is kind of scary for me, but do you you see this debt becoming an issue in 2021, 2022? I mean, is there a number that, that the folks at Beacon Point talk about and say, once we get to number X, we should really start reevaluating what's going to go on? Yeah, I think the issue has already started um, and we're already concerned about it. And the reason being is there's really no interest to be paid on savings. Currently, uh, anybody uh, listening to this podcast, any of our clients that are sitting on cash and cash alone are losing purchasing power and they're losing it quickly. So the larger that our debt grows, uh, the more money that we have to we have to put forth to pay or service that debt, um, you're seeing negative real interest yields, and that is causing a loss of purchasing power. I tell some of my clients, and maybe it, I tell them it before br- uh, lunch when I'm hungry, but if an In-N-Out burger costs you five dollars today, and in a much shorter period of time, and we all know In-N-Out burger doesn't like to like to uh, increase their prices, but they have to. They're doing it at a quicker pace. And so if you've got $5 in your savings account now, you can afford an In-N-Out burger. But if it's sitting there collecting no yield or no interest on that $5, pretty soon it won't be long before a double-double at In-N-Out now costs $5.25, and you no longer have the ability to purchase that burger. So what does that mean people have to do? Does that mean they have to throw their money in the stock market to earn dividends or growth of the markets? Does that mean that they have to uh, uh, put their money into bonds that are yielding at least that of inflation or cost of goods? The problem is, is folks begin to start chasing yields. And we start to chase yields. That means we're going out on the spectrum, the investment grade spectrum, and taking on much greater risks. And so where the damage of this huge debt becomes is folks will start going outside of maybe what is their risk tolerance in order to keep up with their uh, lifestyle or their spending. So I know I went like six stages outside of what (laughs) the high debt means. I, I went way out there, but we can all relate to that because it's not the easiest thing at the moment, and I do it for a living, and that's putting cash to work in markets in which valuations on stocks are so high. The bond market's been b- bullish for the last uh, 40 years. So where really do we put money? And if we want to keep up with inflation cost of goods, do we have to go out and take much greater risk than we really should be? Well, I, I honestly think the answer is is that if the cost of an In-N-Out burger, burger goes from $5 to $5.25, you tell the person making the burger that you don't want pickles, tomatoes, or ketchup, and that will keep it at $5 and solve your problem, right? Nope, because In-N-Out doesn't charge extra for any kind of topics. Yeah, I am an In-N-Out expert. You're supposed to play along <laughs> with me, remember? Uh, right. I don't want to create any false rumors about <laughs> In-N-Out burgers. Exactly. I, hey, I will tell you, Art, they just opened two In-N-Out burgers. I, I knew your podcast today. The theme was going to be In-N-Out burgers. And anybody listening now is probably ru- uh, turn their car and heading for one now. Exactly. But they opened two new In-N-Out burgers this weekend in Colorado, one in Aurora and one just uh, another one outside of Denver. The lines to get an In-N-Out burger, folks waited 14 hours oh my God. to get an In-N-Out burger in Colorado. And the sad thing, Art, I can kind of relate. <laughs> you know, a quick shout out to my older brother. He's a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force, and he flies F-16s. And he served uh, in, a, in Iraq uh, twice, uh, two very long tours. And when he got home and flew into LAX, you would think he'd want to see his mother, who's been worried about him, or his brothers or his father, who, uh, you know, have, have, have been worried sick about him. He is beelining straight from the airport to an In-N-Out burger before he even calls any of us to tell us that he's down safe. He's finished a double-double or two. So you know what that, what he's thinking about when he's uh, when he's not in the country. So Well, again, thank you. Please thank your brother for his service to our country. That's a wonderful, for wonderful sure. thing. Um, I, I want to spend the rest of the time we have, I want to talk about where do you see, I mean, what, what are you and in your investment committees and your thinking 
Do, do you see yourself going more towards stocks, more towards bonds, uh, more towards international investment? I mean, wh- where do you see the opportunities in 2021, given what we know uh, today, November 23rd, which could be different tomorrow, November 24th? So uh, the answer to the question about taking on uh, or, or, you know, something to solve the the question about taking on more risk is looking at private credit. I think if you are willing to uh, uh, give up a little liquidity uh, for some access to some of the private markets, because the private markets and private equity is really a, a place that you can put your money in which can keep not only keep up, but bring you returns um, in the mid fours, fives, and even up to eights. If uh, you are have the ability to look long term and be able to lose a little bit of liquidity, so that's a great place I think currently for money. Gold over this last year has been a nice place for folks to have money not sitting in cash. But gold has no income to it. Gold fluctuates and has you know 15 year kind of lulls before it has these great bull runs and and uh, and so gold is is another place. And then finally, we do like large cap. Uh, both dividend-paying stocks, and we like growth stocks. So we like having a little in both. And I know that sounds like a lot of different answers. I kind of gave you the order in which uh, new money is being put to to work, being private credit gold and then large-cap stocks. But, uh, you know, the, some of these big companies, they're, they've got a lot of cash on their balance sheets, including things like Apple and Microsoft. I'm not saying invest in those, but I know what kind of cash they're sitting on. Um, and so those some of those companies, their dividends are 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 not in any kind of danger, and to be collecting a little bit of uh, of, of cash and reinvesting that cash uh, while you're waiting for uh, you know the markets to improve, um, that's a good place to have your money. Uh, that's great advice, Jim. I want to I want to touch on the different uh, ages that my dentists who are listening to this podcast are at. So. Let's talk to dentists who are 25 to 35 years old. They're just getting started. They're listening to this podcast. We want to motivate you to start saving money. Save early. I know you've got student loan debt. I know your payments are two, three thousand, thirty-five hundred a month. I know they're you know, the mountain looks high to climb. I know it's scary times, but get in the habit of saving money. So for my 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 younger dentists who are either just maybe starting to maybe they're gonna put their first five or ten thousand dollars away in an IRA. Or maybe they're going to start a simple IRA in their new dental practice. What what do we tell to to new investors who are just getting started? I know it depends on their risk tolerance and everything, but what, yeah. what do you tell to younger people uh, that you're advising, Jim? Yeah, and and you you talked about risk tolerance, but this is really uh, a part of that would be the time horizon. So now we're talking about ages between the ages of 25 and 35, and the discipline to save money is one thing. And that, uh, you know, I applaud anyone that has that discipline to take some of your income and set it aside for later time in your life. But here's the challenge that I will challenge all of your listeners and and anybody that that cares. And the challenge becomes you need to have your money working for you. And when you're 25 and 35, you have the ability to take on types of risks that you're not going to be able to have when you actually have more money. That's the hope, right? When you're older, you have more money. So when you're starting, not only to discipline to put that money aside, say, in a in an account at Charles Schwab or Fidelity or some of these uh, accounts that don't charge you anything for an account and then trades for ETFs and stocks are are free. There's no commissions to any of those. And by the way, I don't work for either of those companies, but I just threw them out because I'm very familiar with both Fidelity and Charles Schwab. And so putting some money away in there and then getting that money working for you is the best advice I've ever received because you have the scarce commodity of time. Time is really the, uh, is the, is the magic bean to growing your money. So if you can start early and you can start compounding and you can start not paying taxes and say an IRA, or if you make under a certain amount of money, you can start a Roth IRA, uh, where you're compounding that money year in and year out without having to pay any taxes while it's invested really the smartest way for a 25 to 35 year old to get started. And don't be afraid to take on some risks. And especially if it's in a retirement account, you can't touch that money until you're 59 and a half without penalty anyway. So unless you're going to take that money and use it, 
just pay attention to something else while the markets recover because they always do. All right, let's talk to my doctors who are in uh, mid-career, 35 to 50 years old. They're they're out there. They've been in practice maybe five to 20 years. Uh, their practices are doing well. Let, let's put 2020 behind us because we know that nobody did great in 2020. But the dental profession has been very resilient. It's come back significantly. Um, so I got my doctors who are 35 to 50. Uh, they're, they're just starting gym. They're just starting families or they, they've got young children. Uh, they're, they're planning for college. They're buying their first house or maybe their second house. So how, how do you talk to somebody in mid-career, 35 to 50, about investments? Yeah. So uh, usually this is a prime earning years of your life, right? When you're you know, reaching close to 40 until you're about 55, 60 is really some prime earning years. And so you are taking on some some new expenses like college tuition or a new home, but you really want to try to avoid purchasing things. You want to be buying assets, things that will be appreciating. So things like homes is, is, is good, as well as putting some money aside if you can, again, to your retirement, opening things like a profit sharing or a pension plan, things that once you reach or are out of those times, and I'm sure you're going to ask me that question next, uh, you are building a substantial pot of, of wealth so that once you do get towards retirement or into retirement, you don't have to really radically change your lifestyle um, and you'll have something there to help uh, suffice the loss of the salary that you have currently. So if we can get rid of debt, if we can sell, if we can start paying off our debts, remember we're purchasing assets, not things. Um, and then we're also, if there's any money left, we are putting some of that aside for later in life and retirement. And 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 folks, let, let me let me just share this with you again. My philosophy is, yeah, you, know, you can invest in different things. You've got many different food groups. You've got stocks and bonds. You've got real estate. Um, I personally have. I mean, I've. I've own my own home since the age of about 27, I think it was, or 28. And um, I think it's a great thing to do. Uh, I've never been one to buy multiple properties. Maybe I should have. I don't know. I haven't had the time to manage it or invest it. I put most of my money in the stock market. And the stock market since 1920 has had an average return, Jim, of Six to six to eight, six to nine percent. It's been you know it's been up and down, but it's been very very consistent for a hundred years, right? Correct. So if you look at this, folks, start saving money. Get in the habit. Don't go out and take the next ten thousand dollars and put it down on a hundred thousand dollar automobile because it make you feel good because you're going to get to the point when you're 50, 55, 60, where maybe your arm starts to hurt or maybe your back starts to hurt. And you get tired of doing what you're doing, okay? I mean, maybe you've done it for 30, 35 years and you're, you you don't want to do it anymore and you want to be able to go to work because you want to. But if you don't want to, you want to be able to not go to work. And the best way to do that is to start saving, make it a bill every single month. I Please think of me as the little uh, angel on your shoulder telling you to please, please do this. And, uh, you know, people like Jim can, can, can help you do that. So let, let's get to the over 50-year-old doctor who's in the, I mean, he or she is in the prime. I and mean, this is that they've been practicing 20, 25 years. They're at the top of their game. Uh, they, they, clinically, they're as good as it gets. They built their practice. And now they got another maybe 10, 15 years left to go. What, what, what do we look at for them as far as philosophy of how you teach them how to invest? Yeah, so uh, you know, our that's really the the target market for our for our group. Uh, we are are very good at helping folks really realize what they've accumulated, um, and then really look at what's the next steps and what does it look like going forward. And so, in the uh, in the fear of sounding a little self serving, um, as you get to that age, I would highly recommend you find a, an investment professional or an advisor that can give you some good advice on what to do with that money that you saved. So you talked about it, Art, uh, and, I, and I applaud you telling all of your listeners how important it is to save money. And I will tell you with zero interest rates now, it's not that's the first step of it. You need to save money 
but you also need to get that money working for you or you will not be able to afford that burger once inflation once that burger now costs five dollars and twenty five cents and you've got five dollars. Super important to get working and get that money working for you while you're doing other things like spending time with your family and and traveling and when we can do that again and 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 everything else that all of the different hobbies and things you want to do in retirement. So um, I think it's important to find somebody who can help take the emotion out of the decision making because once you've saved all that money over the years, you have you get this instinctual fear of well. I now have to keep this money and I, and I could run out of this money and how do I invest this money? And I would tell you finding a professional who can give you good sound advice, who can understand what your objectives are and what risks you're willing to take and then get your money invested in a very smart way. Uh, that's probably the best advice I could give somebody. I'm not just saying I'm not the only uh, the guy in town that does it. There are many out there who are really good at it. I would suggest finding a fiduciary, not suitability. So I'd, I'd look for a group uh, that is a professional at giving great advice, not selling products. So stay away from the product sellers. Get with the good advice people who are going to help you navigate and help you take the emotion out of the markets so that between February 19th and March 23rd of this year, you don't panic and sell all of your good bonds, all of your good investment grades, your Microsoft stock. When you just clear out of everything because you're scared, you start getting rid of a lot of good stuff. And that stuff from the bottom to today is up 60%. So if you sold in, on March 23rd because you were scared and you weren't you were too afraid of where the markets were going, you missed out on 60% in the S&P 500. So just to keep in mind, it's an emotional behind your, your health, your doctor. And then I would say, honestly, Art, here's a plug, your CPA, right? You, you, you listen to your CPA. He gives you great advice on how to, how to uh, save money, not, you know, not put yourself in any kind of risks. But um, and then and then third, you're you're talking to an investment advisor who's going to give you some great advice on and, on how to invest that money. And my my doctors who are conservative and many of many dentists are conservative, and I, I I love I love my conservative dentists that I talk to all the time, where they just save the money and they're not looking for a twenty percent return, they're not looking for the next home run, and it's you know sto- you know sh- slow and steady wins the race is going to get you to the finish line. It's the it's the doctors out there who just, you know, they, they can't keep $10,000 in their pocket. They got to go, they got to go take a trip. They got to go buy a car. They got to go buy something else. They got to do this. They got to do that. And, and they don't save. And they, oh, well, yeah, it'll be okay. And so, well, you know, guys, my, my legacy, as I've told you before, is I want all my doctors that I work with to have the financial ability to retire when you want to at the level that you want to. And it, it's, it's hard. And the fact is, is that regardless of whether we're in a booming economy or a, a, a pandemic, the investment markets are very, while they're not predictable, we know what they do and people like Jim know what they do. So Jim, I'm going to ask you one more time because we're just about out of time. This, this does go by you know, really, really quickly, more quickly than I would, uh, you know, wish it would. But uh, give out again the name of the podcast that people can listen to, which again, we'll put in the show notes, and how they can get a hold of you. Uh, The podcast is called Markets in Motion. So Markets in Motion, it's wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts. Uh, It's Michael Dow. It's terrific information that I think everyone on here for 10 minutes of of your morning drive with your coffee uh, every two weeks, I think you'll learn something. Uh, and then my information, my email address is jdavenport at beaconpoint.com. And my office phone number is 949-720-9980. And I just leave you with this is I'm a, fa- a financial resource. It's what I love to do. And if I don't have the answers, which I don't have a ton, I know a lot of good people that do, um, including a good uh, uh, tax uh, advisor and Mr. Wiederman. But uh, gentlemen like that, that I can I can refer you to. So if you have any questions, we are in the lucky business of not charging by the hour over here at Beacon Point. So I am available to talk about markets or talk about your financial situation or help you plan uh, with any of the investment investing that you have uh, in your portfolio.
and so thanks Jim again, also, Art. And Jim also, as a side note, will be able to advise you whether to go to In-N-Out or McDonald's or Burger King or Wendy's or whatever you need for your favorite burger. Absolutely. Jim, thanks a lot. Hang on before um, till, till we're done here. I'm going to sign off in a minute here with some uh, information for my listeners. Again, everybody, thank you so much for listening. I hope this information is valuable to you. Uh, you should listen to these podcasts. You know, Learn as much as you can about this because nobody's going to care more about your money than you are. And so if you need to get a hold of me in my office in Tustin, uh, my number is 657-279-3243. My email is a Wiederman, W-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N, at Eid Bailey, that's E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y.com. Um, again, if you want me to, um, uh, if you want to register for our webinar on on December the 9th, uh, which is going to be on taxes and the research and development tax credit for six local dental societies here in Southern California, email me at awiederman at idebailey.com. Please listen to our partner, Decisions in Dentistry magazine. Um, uh, well, not listen to them. Go onto their website at www decisionsindentistry.com. They've got great clinical content and great uh, uh, continuing education courses. If you are not working with a dental-specific CPA, please go to our website. Uh, that is www.adcpa.org. That's the Academy of Dental CPAs, 24 CPA firms across the United States that represent, we're now over 10,000 dentists. Uh, again, my firm, is in Southern California. We work with, at Bailey about seven to 800 dentists uh, in our firm, firm-wide. So again, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for the privilege of your time. Hopefully the information is going to be helpful to you. Uh, we've got some great, uh, great guests coming up on some different topics uh, in the near future. Uh, we will be taking Christmas week off as I do every year, but uh, now that we've gone past the 100 podcast mark, uh, we're really excited about you know 2021. I think it's going to be a great year for everyone. So with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, uh, tell your friends about our podcast. Uh, please uh, you know subscribe on your iPhone or your Android, um, and and please keep listening because we're going to keep bringing this great information to you. So for today, this is Art Wiederman. This has been the Art of Dental Finance and Management with Art Wiederman CPA. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Art of Dental Finance and Management podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. The Art of Dental Finance and Management podcast is produced by Ide Bailey in partnership with Art Wiederman, CPA, Decisions in Dentistry Magazine, and the Academy of Dental CPAs. For audience questions and feedback, email Art Wiederman, awiederman at idebailey.com. That's A-W-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N at E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y.com. Or you may call Art at 657-279-3243.